Welcome to season one, episode one of Deconstructing American Conservatism. My name is James Killen. I'm your host. If you're joining me from TikTok, you've already heard my views on American exceptionalism, but I'm going to go a lot deeper in this podcast episode. Some of you may have heard this clip before, but I'm going to play it for you anyway to refresh your memory. A decade ago, actor Jeff Daniels starred in an HBO series called The Newsroom. In the pilot episode, he made a speech that to this day makes its rounds on social media. And here it is again, making its round on this podcast 10 years after it first aired. This monologue hits hard. This is fiction, and the numbers Daniels' character Will McAvoy uses are not the same today as they were then. But listen to the message. Let's move on to the next question. Go ahead. Hi. My name is Jenny. I'm a sophomore, and this is for all three of you. Can you say in one sentence or less what... (laughs) Um, You know what I mean. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, Freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, the New York Jets. (laughs) No, I'm going to hold you to an answer on that. What makes America the greatest country in the world? Well, Lewis and Sharon said it. Diversity and opportunity and freedom and freedom. I'm not letting you go back to the airport without answering the question. Well, our Constitution is a masterpiece. James Madison was a genius. The Declaration of Independence is, for me, the single greatest piece of American writing. You don't look satisfied. One's a set of laws and the other's a declaration of war. I want a human moment from you. What about the people? Why is America not the greatest greatest country in the world? Professor, that's my answer. You're saying... Yes. Let's talk about... Fine. Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of our paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed 
laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed, we cared about our neighbors, we put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't, we didn't scare so easy. <laughs> we were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. It is a hard pill to swallow acknowledging that after years and years of being told the United States is the greatest country in the world, you figure out by any objective standard, it is not. In 2021, U.S. News and World Report ranked Canada number one and the United States number six overall in their rankings for best country in the world. The rankings, not important though. What is important is letting go of this notion of American exceptionalism and the idea that somehow the United States is ordained, divinely inspired, or is in some way chosen by God. I was born off Fort Knox into an army family. Nearly every adult male in my family served or is serving. I went into the military as a private in 2001, and I resigned my commission as a captain in 2019. I spent my entire adult life in an active duty or guard status. I have the American flag and an Eagle Globe and Anchor tattooed to my chest, and despite having been to 27 different countries on this planet, I do not want to live anywhere else but the United States of America. However, believing the United States is the greatest country in the world keeps us from improving our country and the lives of all Americans. The idea of American exceptionalism conditions us to think that we are above reproach, that somehow the United States is the gold standard that all countries should strive to be in that criticism of the United States, especially from her own citizens, is treasonous. I have found myself on more than one occasion in the past telling people that we should not be looking at other countries around the world because America is in the lead, and when you're in the lead, you don't look at the people following. And that is wrong. Ask 10 white people why the United States is the greatest country in the world. Jot those answers down. Now, if you want a not so fun field trip, go ask 10 Americans of color why the United States is the greatest country in the world. Ask 10 Native Americans why the United States is the greatest country in the world. Ask 10 Latino Americans why the United States is the greatest country in the world. Spoiler alert, the first 10 answers are going to be wildly different than the subsequent 30. 
In a country that claims all men are created equal, endowed by their creators with certain inalienable rights, we don't exactly treat each other equally. According to that U.S. News and World Report I mentioned a moment ago, we're one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And I'm from Kentucky, which is very often labeled the most corrupt state in the union with respect to politics. We rank 20th in quality of life, near the bottom in income inequality and safety, and we might as well be digging a hole with regard to our concern for the environment. And given that every politician in office will tell you that small businesses are the backbone of the American economy, we rank 45th in their open for business index. Going back to that hole our environmentalism lives in, I was behind a car the other night Indiana license plate, you damn Hoosiers. I'm just kidding. I'm from Kentucky. We, we, it's, it's sibling rivalry. I'm at a red light, and the jack wagon in front of me tossed a napkin out the window. Two things went through my mind when I saw that napkin fly out that window. One, do I have enough time to jump out, grab that napkin, and stick it in their rear wiper? And two, will I get shot doing it? That kind of sums up how we feel about the environment and how safe we feel in public in one moment. Now, before you jump on me, I'm not equivocating that scenario like it's the quintessential scenario in the United States, but it is quite apropos to the conversation. I hope you'll at least agree with me on that. Outside of these world reports and economic indexes or indices or however you want to pronounce it, I'm from Kentucky, we have our own language here, Let's talk about one of those things the United States has an abundance of pride in, but unrightly so. How about that document we find sacrosanct here in the United States? You know the one I'm talking about. It starts with, we the people, it was ratified in 1789 by a bunch of white slave owners we know as our founding fathers. Ten years ago, I would have punched someone in the face for referring to our founding fathers like that. So I understand if you feel like punching me right now. But just bear with me and we'll get through this deconstruction thing together, I promise. Side note, I was in a debate in my constitutional law class back in 2010, and the young lady I was debating said my argument was invalid because our constitution was an old document and our government didn't run like that anymore. The janitor had to get a floor jack from the maintenance crew to get my jaw off the ground. How dare she refer to our constitution like that? You know what? A couple years later, I started to realize that young lady was right. Ineloquent as her description was, our government runs on 219 years of Supreme Court precedents, far more than it runs on strict adherence to our constitution. Why? because our constitution was written 35 years before the first patent on the internal combustion engine was approved, and 75 years before it would be put into something even remotely resembling a mode of transport. To put that time frame in perspective, we just put a telescope in space a million miles from Earth into what amounts to a convergence of gravitational dimples in the fabric of space-time known as a Lagrange point, number two to be specific. That telescope will orbit in that Lagrange point with its six and a half meter lens. That's 21 feet, by the way. 
While that lens captures infrared light from the beginning of time and will simultaneously send that information back to Earth in order for scientists to further our understanding of the beginning of the universe. Let that stew for a minute. Not convinced yet that this governing document we find so untouchable is so out of touch with modern America? The Constitution was ratified in 1789. That's 48 years before the first patent was awarded for the telegraph. And here I am streaming my voice from my living room through a wireless router out to a satellite orbiting the earth so it can flow through the electronic device that fits in your pocket that has more computational power than the entire control center for the Apollo missions. In short, our Constitution is an old document, and our government can't be expected to run on that document. It has to be updated, or we're going to fail. This experiment in democracy is going to fail because we don't have the common sense to come together with one goal to update the thing without getting into a power struggle that everyone fears will destroy the United States. So it kind of looks like we're in a catch-22. Fix the Constitution or don't, but if we fix it, or at least we try to, we're going to ruin the country, and if we don't fix it, we're already ruining the country. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a ton of wisdom in the Constitution. And it is the foundation for almost every democracy around the world today. Its significance to the world is unparalleled. But it's time we got the courage to revisit that document. Perhaps we could also use the opportunity to ensure every person not only had the right to run their mouth at an Applebee's in the United States, but also had the right to a CT scan after someone repeatedly smacks the head associated with said mouth for exercising its right to be stupid and say to an American of color the word that white people have all agreed not to say. Right, Joe Rogan? Maybe we could take the opportunity to set limits on how instruments of war are produced and profited from in the United States. Maybe that would cut back on the $754 trillion defense budget. Dwight Eisenhower warned John F. Kennedy of the military-industrial complex in his farewell speech right before JFK's inauguration in 61. The fact of the matter is, you can't build 10,000 missiles and not use 10,000 missiles because defense contractors are for-profit businesses. They have a vested interest in conflict and war. You could make the argument, I'm not, but you could, just saying, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, you could make the argument JFK was assassinated because of this warning from Eisenhower, especially since Lyndon B. Johnson took us immediately into a full-scale war in Vietnam 20 minutes after JFK was laid to rest. Think of it like this. Conventional warfare hardly uses tanks. Yet the United States turns out more than 100 of them every year at a cost of $9 million apiece. We have twice as many tanks as Russia, 
and China. Why? Because the tanks are in a congressional district and Republican Representative Jim Jordan, some of you know that name, wink, wink, January 6th, is not about to, to let that gerrymandered district flip to Democrats. The if the tank plant shuts down, Jim Jordan loses his defense contractor buddies who fund his campaign. Now, coincidentally, that district looks like an outline of a dodo bird. I encourage you to go check it out. It's the fourth congressional district in Ohio. It literally looks like the outline of a dodo bird. Take the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, for instance, too. We have no need for that aircraft. There is hardly an aircraft in the world that could even rival the F-22 or the F-15. But a piece of the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter is manufactured in 45 of our 50 states. That isn't because Lockheed Martin is really good at supply chain management. It's specifically done that way so the government cash cow finds it impossible to shut down the project. A $1.5 trillion fiasco solely because our defense industry is private, profit-motivated, and at the teat of the U.S. government. But maybe while we're at it, while we're in here reorganizing this constitution, maybe we could end our for-profit prison system that actively promotes recidivism because, well, that's a key aspect of its entire business model. While we're at it, we can ensure our police force does not become a militant army that rather than protecting communities begins to terrorize them. Maybe we can commute the sentences of people behind bars for what amounts to minor drug possession. They just happen to maybe get that three strike thing that uh, Clinton is so famous for. We could get them back out in the economy paying taxes. While we're at it, we can make drug use a medical problem rather than a criminal one. Can I get an amen? Because it's plainly obvious the war on drugs only benefits the cartels and the law enforcement agencies tasked with its execution. Maybe, while we're at it, we could reform our tax system that disproportionately impacts the poorest in our nation with FICA taxes while, ta while taxing capital gains at a rate so low even Warren Buffett thinks it's a joke. Most people don't even realize our currency is fiat, meaning it isn't tied to anything. Fiat is Latin for basically because I said so. Our currency isn't dependent on gold or any other commodity. It's literally numbers in a computer in circulating treasury notes that we all call cash. The whole point of taxes is to control inflation. You control inflation by pulling money out of circulation, therefore making money scarcer without deflating the currency and slowing economic growth. Now that is an incredibly simplistic rundown of an extremely complicated topic. So please don't think I'm saying it's easy and we can just do it tomorrow if we wanted to, but we can repeal the 16th Amendment. We can reorganize our tax structure, but we have to have the fortitude to do it. I mean, seriously, why do we need to take what amounts to 15% of what a single mom could be making at her job? That's, that's the FICA taxes that she pays and the FICA taxes her employers pay for her too, right? So 7.5% and 7.5%. When that money could be better spent in the economy and pulled out via other means, like luxury taxes. 
a higher capital gains tax, a Wall Street tax that targets the performance fees of hedge funds, or a unicorn tax where a company worth over $10 billion is limited in the amount of deductions they can take so companies like Amazon can't make a trillion dollars in revenue, pay a few million dollars to some tax attorneys and accountants so that they pay zero taxes when they knowingly pass their anticipated tax burden off to consumers. I mean, how, how much longer do we really want our country to prop up millionaires and billionaires on the backs of people who are making life decisions at the gas pump? Is that really the country that, that we call the greatest country in the world? where uh, a single mom is, is deciding, or a single dad, because I've been here, they're dis deciding what to do with the last $20 they have, how much of it is going in the gas pump, and how much of it is going in their kid's stomach. Now, I'm not saying we can solve all the problems in this country, and I'm not saying any of these problems are easy to solve, nor are they the fault of conservatives. The thing that I'm saying is that Conservatives have this underpinned idea or value that the United States is above reproach. And one of the things about the United States that is above reproach is the Constitution. All right? the, the fact that we have these problems, and there are so many of them, and we can honestly do so much better if we could just acknowledge that they affect all of us negatively or at least 95% of the United States. That's a great place to start where in any negotiation, when you start a negotiation, you want to start from a common goal, from a common objective. In this instance, maybe a common realization that American exceptionalism or the idea that we are above reproach, that we're a leader in anything but the number of incarcerated Americans per capita and defense spending because of our military industrial complex, if we can just agree on that one fundamental truth, that one fundamental principle that America is not exceptional, we might, we might just be able to start the conversation about how to bring the United States into the modern era and make it that beacon of light it's supposed to be. Now, you all are awesome. I'm going to be putting out a show every Monday. If you want to get the show early or you want to get it ad-free, head over to our Patreon and show your support for the show. It would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to my family. My family knows how passionate I am about this. Uh, I'm, I'm getting choked up right now just thinking about it, so I'm going to have to end this. I appreciate you all. I hope that you spread the word about this podcast and help me get as many people as possible to realize that we are one people and that if we come together, we can stop giving ourselves over to these career politicians and take back control of this amazing experiment that we call the United States of America. Thank you.